Well, let's pick up our text again, and, and we'll keep going. I, um, we'll do a little update, too, on some of the day's events. It's been a really eventful day. Uh, a lot of God's doing a lot of good work in a lot of different areas. So I praise the Lord for that. Um, you guys doing good? Good. All right, well, let's hop into this um, this uh, teaching. And we've, we've, okay, so we've seen 1 Timothy chapter 3. We've seen, um, you know, the character of these uh, saints and the mystery of godliness worked out through the leadership of the church. And now we're looking at the converse, uh, the opposite of that, right? The, uh, the, the mirror image of that is what we picked up in chapter 4, verses 1 through 6. So let's pick it back up again because this is so practical to where we are today. First uh, Timothy four one. Now uh, the Spirit speaketh expressly that in the latter times some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils, speaking lies and hypocrisy, having their conscience seared with a hot iron, forbidding to marry and commanding to abstain from meats which God hath created to be received with thanksgiving, of them which believe and know the truth. For every creature of God is is good and nothing to be refused, if it be received with thanksgiving. Uh, for it is sanctified by the word of God in prayer. But if thou put the brethren in remembrance of these things, thou shalt be a good minister of Jesus Christ, nourished up in the words of faith and a good doctrine, whereunto thou hast attained. Uh, Heavenly Father, we pray as we look into the word of God that you just uh, help us uh, tonight. Uh, we love you and we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so... Um, you know, this is this is really one of those things where Paul is cautioning against um, apathy, right, and or an omission. You know, this is something if you do, right, you don't want to leave out. You want to make sure that you put them in mind and remembrance of these things. We saw that a uh, godly minister must. What we're looking at right now is a godly minister must beware of seducing spirits and doctrines of devils. We're looking at that in the first five verses, and then we'll get into a godly minister must be a good minister of Jesus Christ in six through eleven, and then we'll finish up the chapter talking about being an example of the believer. So, uh, times like these call for godly ministers to beware of seducing spirits and doctrines of devils. Point A was a good minister relays what is expressed uh, by the Spirit of God, and we talked about that and uh, got into uh, discussions of some of the contemporary seducing spirits uh, by name uh, as well. We saw that some depart from the faith. Uh, Point C, we saw that Paul uh, is specific about the characteristics of those who would beguile the bride of Christ. And uh, then we we made it quite a ways, actually. Uh, We saw point D, which doctrines of devils and seducing spirits go hand in hand. And we saw point E, that Paul exposes the doctrine of devils and the influence of seducing spirits to the light of God's word. And then we started looking at these uh, points here. Point one, they speak lies and hypocrisy. And, um, and again, we pointed out names there, name names, Kenneth Copeland, Jesse Duplantis, Benny Hinn, Joyce Myers, there's so many, we could go on and on. And then we, we ended up at point two, forbidding to marry. And I thought that was a good place to pause, and we're picking that back up tonight. So forbidding to marry, 1 Timothy 4.3. So we got through verses 1 and 2. Now we're in verse 3. Forbidding to marry and commanding to abstain from meats. And so forbidding to marry. There is no way to miss what the Spirit of God is expressing through Paul's letter to Timothy now uh, that we look back, of course, as we look at church history. The roots of forbidding to marry are found in what's called asceticism. Uh, 
this is this was not a new doctrine. The roots of asceticism go back to the ancient Eastern religions, and are the root work of the false gospel of higher enlightenment that our children are being taught uh, by Disney. There's a lot of that kind of stuff that's in the Disney world now. Uh, meaning the Eastern type of religion and all of those things. And, and now it's even getting just straight up satanic. But uh, just this week, um, I watched a, uh, let's see. Yeah, Mickey Mouse uh, had a face-to-face meeting with Ganesh, the Hindu god. I'm making sure these aren't notes from years ago, but actually this did happen. So, um, And it was a discussion on the reaching uh, the high state of enlightenment. And so, I mean, that this stuff is is i mean that's unbelievable and uh, it's evil of course when you say that eastern religion is evil most people do not you know think that but i i can remember when my kids um uh my daughter i think it was or my son uh one of his little christian friends the parents go to this church uh one day i catch him doing this thing the lotus pose or whatever and i'm like what where did you learn that you know Oh, so and so taught it to me, and I'm like, well, I'm like wondering where they learned that. I'm like, are their parents, you know, are there some Pokemon cards or what's going on? How are these kids getting a hold of this? Well, come to find out, if you watch any of the Disney, they'll have characters doing those things, and so that's it's just it's becoming part of the the culture. So anyway, Paul uh, was not referring to ancient asceticism, but the coming flood of asceticism and Gnosticism that in in just 100 years from when he wrote this would be espoused in Alexandria of Egypt by men like Origen, who castrated himself to deal with the lust of the flesh. So that's what he's talking about. And uh, those are the guys that uh, put together your critical text uh, that is still being promoted today as a correction to uh, the received text and a perversion of the Word of God. And so asceticism and forbidding to marry, to marry uh, was espoused around the same era that Constantine converted to pagan Roman uh, converted the pagan Roman Empire into the Holy Roman Empire. So uh, the so-called church fathers like Augustine were instrumental in mandating or yeah, mandating cel- celibacy among the priests of the universal church. Uh, celibacy was not always part of the Roman Catholic, uh, and I'll call it tradition and religion because it's not biblical, uh, but it was later introduced. And and so, um, and so the priests of the universal church uh, took that on. Of course, they're pagan priests to begin with, but. Why anyone would run to Augustine as a source of doctrine, by the way, is beyond me. But even today, if you read uh, uh, some commentaries, many people to this day quote him frequently. And so the change began at the Council of Elvira in Spain in about 306 A.D., which prohibited bishops, deacons, and priests from marrying. Shortly thereafter, the early church fathers began to stigmatize sex as sinful in their writings. Um, St. Ambrose in 340-397 to wrote, the, mis- the ministerial office must be kept pure and unspotted and must not be defiled by coitus. And the former libertine St. Augustine uh, even went so far as to consider. Well, I'm not even going to say that. So anyway, moving things. I'll just not, that's some of these notes. I'm not even going to re- re- repeat. But the point is, is that um, you know what would be considered carnal lust um, was not taken into consideration of you know God's design for um, you know um, marriage and so on and so forth. So everything was painted with one brush. And uh, everything became, if you were holy and you had the knowledge, the secret knowledge, uh, then you would participate in this um, ascetic behavior.
And so the perversion of origin was alive and well in Rome, and the mandate of the uh, celibate priesthood was born. No man that uh, that uh, <clears throat> no mind that there was no such standard for the priests in the Old Testament, by the way, uh, or Jesus, or in Old Te- I mean Jesus obviously was celibate, but in the Old Testament, in Jesus nor Paul nor Peter. Let me finish my sentence. Nor Jesus, nor Paul, nor Peter, or any other New Testament writer was told by God to impose such a heresy upon the pastors, elders, or bishops of the church. So we've already gone over chapter 3, and there's no indication there that celibacy is is uh, is more honorable than marriage, right? And so that's just that's just not in the Bible. Paul does mention there's, there's seasons, right, when it's good. Like if you're in the middle of a war, like in Ukraine, if you're 20 years old right now and you're in love, you might tell that young man and that young lady, why don't you hold off on getting married for a year or so, see how this shakes out. It might be better because be, you may have a hard time finding a job. You're going to be on the front lines, you know. Just go ahead and do your duty. Plus, why get married and then get killed, you know. So there's just a lot of reasons that it may be in a time of war uh, or a time of severe persecution, in 2007, eight, if you lived in Arissa, maybe you put that marriage off another year, see if the persecution dies down, you know, so on and so forth. So there are seasons, you know, where circumstances are, or it's prudent to, to like maybe advise someone to, well, you probably ought to wait. If you can stay single, you might do that until things change. Um, but there's nothing in the Bible that forbids marriage between a man and a woman by the way and uh and that's how god has designed it so it doesn't make someone more holy uh and it doesn't make them any less valuable if they're not married so it can kind of go both ways and you have to be balanced there's sometimes singles have a stigma they're like they're not as valuable as uh, married couples in the church that's not true either right paul said hey if you can be single be single i I choose to be single god's given me that grace and i'm greatly effective however don't forbid to you know don't keep people from marrying under that that uh, false uh, concept that well you know they're more ho- they're more holy because they're more sanctified because they are not married that's just not in the scripture um, uh, and so uh, along with the celibacy of the priesthood around the third century the traditions of monastic life with the nuns and the monks uh, were birthed as well so the church in Rome be, uh, became a political power under Charlemagne in 800 AD and Charlemagne united all of Europe under his military religious banner militarizing the Holy Roman Empire and giving her the power over the state so in 1018 to penalize the priests or Bible believers who didn't claim any allegiance to the pagan Roman Catholic Church Pope Benedict VIII decreed that the descendants of the priests were not to own property of course this uh, dis, uh, of course to disagree with the church was also to be ca- counted as a heretic and included torture and martyrdom so in 1139 at the second uh, Lateran council the church decreed it illegal to marry and be priests in 1563 the law became official church doctrine and stands to this day and so uh, we call the, that period uh, the uh, the Dark Ages, and the Roman Catholic Church calls it the Age of Faith, and so it's a it's it is faith, all right. It's faith in tradition, and not what the Word of God teaches. So I know in this group, I'm not going to get any any you know any pushback or what have you. But that's just a little bit of information about where this doctrine goes. So what God was doing was helping. Uh, was helping us understand, especially now in retrospect, what you know that issue was already beginning to happen, and Paul was teaching Timothy, and of course God has a bigger plan because the devil was working in that with his pagan uh, priesthood in this church that he would he will eventually use to write in and get power in the in the end times. So there's a lot going on in this. Uh, 
passage here that that uh, is where we're sitting today in history, we can look back and we can see, wow. Uh, you know, the Holy Ghost really was preparing. Now, it's again, it's interesting, too, when the, the location of this in chapter 4, right after what we covered in chapter 3, both the deacons and the pastors are both dealing with what? Husbands of one wife. So what he is saying is that there is virtue, of course, in... in uh, in uh, fidelity to your wife, but it's not you, you don't you don't uh, you're not any more virtuous because you're single, right? And so a man, um, if he can be single and serve, praise God. But if he's not single, praise God. Keep the wife that you have and and or glorify God. All right, let me pause there before I move to the next one. Is there any questions on that? That's a lot. All right, so point E, forbidding to marry is one of the... Oh, you don't have point E. I got point E. So forbidding to marry is one of the heretical doctrines God points out to the church because he's giving us a clear indicator of the migration of mystery Babylon religion from Babylon through Pergamum in 133 B.C. to Rome. Uh, Attalus, the supreme pontiff and high priest of the mystery of Babylon religion, willed his title and priesthood to Rome, and he transferred the power upon his death in 133 B.C. In 63 B.C., Julius Caesar was made the uh, supreme pontiff of Babylon, and uh, one world government and religion uh, was born and was on the way through the the mystery of iniquity and mystery Babylon religion, just as Daniel had prophesied. And Paul was putting Timothy into remembrance. Whether Timothy fully grasped it or even Paul, I don't know, but that's what was going on. Uh, God was using the church and the doctrine that's given to the church to combat what was coming from Satan and his mystery Babylon religion. Uh, Because he does have a bride and she is a harlot. So let me pause there. Are there any questions about that? All right, so you don't get that very often in many churches, but that is the truth. All right, so verse 3, let's keep looking at this. So command to abstain from meats. The commandment to abstain from meats was once uh, an ordinance of the law of Moses, but Jesus had fulfilled the law, and it was made clear to Peter and observed by Paul that we are to eat freely as long as it does not offend a weaker brother's conscience. So in 1 Timothy 4.4, 4, uh, it says there, For every creature of God is good and nothing to be refused if it be received with thanksgiving. That is a pretty open-ended statement. Uh, so, you know, I don't, you know, I love French people. Jeff, you're French, but I don't really eat snails. I'm just not into that, you know. Yeah, you can eat snails if you want, brother. I'm not, it's not bothering me, but, uh, um, you know, snails aren't for me, um, you know. And uh, But you know what? Every creature is good. There's a lot of people. You know, I don't care to eat fish eggs, but there's people that eat caviar, right? You know, so it's all good. It's all good. You know, eat away. Uh, just be careful from the poisons and stuff. But anyway, uh, along along with the heresy of celibacy fostered through the Dark Ages, the Roman Catholic Church also instituted a ban on eating certain things on certain days. Um, and so to this day, a good Catholic over the age of, you know, 15 uh, is to abstain from meat on Friday. So that's actually, I don't think they do that anymore. Um, but, you know, um, do they still do that? Oh, yeah. Okay. Every Friday? Yeah. So there used to be in our culture, uh, it actually, I think over the four, when a child's over 14, they have to like do confirmation. They should observe that during Lent. It used to be like my, um, and Jeff would know because he was, you were raised Roman Catholic, weren't you? So, and you're, no offense, but you're old enough to remember because the Vatican II changed a lot of that. Before that, it was very rigid on Fish Fridays. And so a lot of the older generations still observe that. So most of us here can remember 
you know, when that was a thing. You know, I had I had older relatives that uh, even though Vatican II did away with it, their Fridays were about fish, and so many places to this day observe that. So, uh, is there any other comments about the fish on Friday? That's again, that's easy to see. Commanding to abstain from meats. Um, this act of penance uh, has nothing to do with a biblical fast. Most, ca- most Catholics in the USA only observe this during Lent, as, as uh, Ron said, um, who was also raised Roman Catholic. But many devout still eat uh, only on fr- eat fish only will eat fish on Friday. That's poor grammar, but you get what I'm trying to say. We'll only eat fish on Friday. That's what I meant to say. Okay, so Paul is very clear, 1 Timothy 4, 5, that our food is sanctified by the word of God and prayer. Right? That's how our food is set apart and sanctified for us. There are uh, Eastern and mystical religions which command abstaining uh, from meats uh, for other reasons. The Hindu uh, religions abstain from meat because they worship the creature instead of the creator. Right, so there's other reasons uh, that commanding to abstain from meats occur in false religion as well, and and so um, you know Hindus don't eat cows. Um, uh, I think Muslims do. Muslims have, I don't think. Okay, they don't eat pork. Okay. Um, and so, but you can get beef with a Hindu. So if you're in a, if you're in a Hindu country, you want to go to the Muslim store to get beef. And uh, so on and so forth. So as the New Age movement and uh, One World Order or uh, One World Humanistic Utopian Society is being enforced across the world, uh, it's interesting to note the similarities between Hinduism and Catholicism. Um, in comparison, uh, you know, there are some things that you can see that are, are similar. Roman Catholics uh, have many traditions and beliefs that are rooted in paganism. And so here's just a few points just to compare. Hindus worship many gods and Catholics worship many saints, right? So both with burning of candles, incense, before statues, which, by the way, is also what... Um, uh, voodoo, right? So you get, you can actually put voodoo there. There's a lot of pagan uh, religions that do the same thing. Uh, you know, they use icons, music, ritual prayers as a means to create an atmosphere of worship. Uh, while Hindus chant ritual mantras, Catholics chant rosaries and uh, prayers. Uh, both have extravagant, extravagantly wealthy temples filled with statues and golden artifacts. Uh, both. Um, have a priesthood that acts as an intermediary between the people and God. Uh, both look up upon their respective priests as separate castes, different from the laity. Uh, the concept of a priesthood of all believers is foreign to the practice of either religion, Roman Catholic or um, a Hindu. And so uh, you got to be a you know a Brahmin caste to be in a Hindu priesthood and then even on that there's certain ones i've learned that are segregated i found out uh at least in nepal there's some that can eat beef did you know that i did not know that there's a certain particular sect that have this liberty i don't know why and if i did know why it probably wouldn't make any logical sense anyway so um but anyway both believe that justification cannot be uh by by faith alone right so good deeds being absolutely necessary um you know the fellow that started buddhism Right, that was his thing is just emptying himself and getting to Nirvana within one lifetime, you know, fast tracking it by an excessive amount of asceticism, and 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 uh, and basically 
everything we're talking about, commanding to abstain from meats and all the physical uh, attributes of life, uh, would then earn, merit him, some higher spiritual standing. And so... um, Uh, Both believe that justification cannot be by faith alone, good deeds being absolutely necessary. So you can merit or accumulate uh, as you go through life and cause advancement or demotion in the next life. Right? You can go to purgatory and burn off some sins. You can come back as a rat instead of a you know human or whatever. Or you can you know really go to the next level um, and uh, and so on and so forth. So both of them are have that carrot and stick uh, works based. Uh, soteriology, which means salvation. Uh, and so both have physical centers of worship, worshipers, um, pilgrimages. And by the way, I'm, I'm also, I could throw in here, as I'm thinking about it, I could think Islam has a lot of these same uh, attributes. Islam is very similar in many ways to uh, Roman Catholicism. They even have rosary beads, so to speak, whatever they call them. And they're ascetics. There's some ascetics in, the, in Islam that will literally... Uh, like put a cat nine tails or what have you, and they'll they'll lash themselves. But some Catholics do that as well uh, in penance. But they'll they'll do it till they're bleeding, and uh, and they should because they're worshiping a pagan god to start with. It's not the Allah is not the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and uh, it, it, because if Allah is not Jesus Christ and He's not God, that's the, that's the truth of the matter. And so, um, so both have physical centers of worship that, where they take pilgrimages for Catholics. Obviously, it's St. Peter's uh, Basilica in Rome. While Hindus travel many miles to the Ganges River, uh, both religions believe that pilgrimages to these holy places will result in merit for the worshiper. And by the way, of course, in a kingdom of heaven context, these are just ripping off what God is doing with Jerusalem, right? That's ultimately God's, the apple of God's eye, though, in the tribulation is spiritual Sodom and Egypt. But the, uh, the point is, is that God has set a city and a place and a temple. And these false religions, whether it's Islam, Hinduism, or Catholicism, um, have these, these, uh, these uh, temples that you travel to and, and you worship, and all of that makes you holier and closer to God. Uh, and you know Christians do get caught up in that, by the way. And so, uh, I'm not I'm not against going to Jerusalem and getting baptized in the Jordan, but I am a little curious when I've seen believers that have been obedient believers baptism go to the Jordan and get baptized. I'm like, okay, whatever. But anyway, uh, both believe in effectiveness of holy water, and if I've offended anybody, forgive me, um, in various cleansing rituals uh, and rites. Both believe in everyone's everyone needs perfecting before going to the ultimate reward. Catholics see, uh, as I've mentioned, time in purgatory as necessary to perfection of character, while Hindus believe that reincarnation will give them necessary steps toward perfection. I was fat. I'm going to take a little side note here for just a second. I was fascinated um, in uh, in Bhutan in 2010. I was there in, in the on the zongs. That's what they call their temples. They have zongs everywhere around the country, and they'll have they'll have the I, the circle of life. And there's probably I know there's better names and more accurate names for it. And I did not realize that theirs includes hell. They have hell in the Buddhist tradition, at least in Bhutan. And so, if you don't attain, you will go to hell, which is the same concept in a Buddhist cycle as you would have in a Catholic cycle of purgatory, because you always have the cycle system to get out of that. And uh, I didn't know that. I was sitting there uh, with my guide, uh, looking at the artwork on the at the zong on the wall. I'm like, hey, what is that? You know, and he's, oh, it's hell. I mean, it's even what he called it. It's it's hell. He, that's the same English word that he used. Uh, I don't know what it would be in in. Uh, Hindi or or Zonka language or whatever, but that's in English. Whatever they equate it to, hell. 
And of course, uh, it'd be closer to purgatory. So that was kind of a little illumination on watching that. I'm like, huh. So this 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 false teaching really is just rooted in pagan religion. Um, and so anyway, it's not that the devil hides hell; he just twists it, just like he does all truth. It's just not eternal. And you know, you always get another chance. No, you don't. You don't get another chance. It's final. So uh, both believe in the effectiveness of, of, re, of repeated offerings and sacrifices. Catholics believe that Mass will effectively offer Christ uh, again and again as a sacrifice for sins, while Hindus will present their gods with sacrifices and offerings uh, of flowers. And uh, you'll see, again, uh, just reminds me of Brazil, right? You'll see the same thing happen with voodoo. So you could be a Roman Catholic. You could have your voodoo idols. You could sacrifice to either. I mean, it's just the same thing. Different pagan religion. Both religions have a strong belief that spiritual exercises will lift the worshiper out of the uh, out of the usual uh, round of daily living and will promote a mystic and superior understanding of existence. St. Ignatius is not uh, really very different in his outlook on spiritual exercises than the Hindu mystic in his concentration on escaping this physical world and entering nirvana. And so both uh, religions worship a mother goddess. Hindus worship the goddess uh, Durga as a supreme mother, while Catholics uh, see Mary as a supreme mother. Which, again, I know you're like, well, how do you pull all of that out of First Timothy you know, 4, 1 through 5? I, I know it's not exactly there. What I'm really pulling out is why Paul said this. Whether Paul actually knew or not, I don't know. But ultimately, God knew what was coming. And so he has prepared the church and made it very simple. Isn't it interesting how simple it is for us to cut through all of that? It's amazing that so much is made of all of these things and these false religions, and yet we just take four or five verses in the New Testament and it just cuts it like a knife. You know, it just cuts right to it. And so... Uh, I'm about done. Point F. A good minister will uh, put the brethren in remembrance of these things and uh, and these matters and feed the flock of God, uh, the flock good doctrine, I should say. So a good minister will put the brethren in remembrance of these matters and feed the flock good doctrine. So putting the brethren in remembrance means this is the information uh, they should know, right? If you want to be a good minister, well, then do this, right? Put this information in their minds. If thou put the brethren in remembrance of these things. And by the way, the word remembrance would ind- indicate that they already knew it, right? So this isn't something that Paul hasn't already taught, or Timothy perhaps hasn't already taught. You know, uh, I was just down at New Life today, and and it's just, it's just putting my mind back, you know, in that kind of setting. And, you know, nothing is new. I mean, you're still making disciples. We're still doing the same thing, different location. Some things that we do are somewhat redundant, you know, and the doctrine that we teach is redundant. I'm even thinking that. I'm like, I'm preaching this message, and I'm thinking about some of these things these people already know. They're, they're from Heartland. This is going to seem, like, repetitive. But you know what? Some of these things we have to do and put people in remembrance, right? Because just because we know it, even like I'm teaching this stuff about Rome, I like I need to hear it again, right? And so I need to hear it. And if, if you ever teach Discipleship 1, which I think everybody in here has or, or is, um, you know, don't you need to hear some of the things in D1? I do. I, I, we just were going through it with the, I was just, the last lesson we went through, Judgment Seat of Christ. I guarantee you I needed to hear that just as much as the people I'm discipling, right? And why? Because God is putting me in remembrance, right, of what's really going on. And I'm like, yeah, Lord, I need to remember this. And so uh, a good minister, you know, it's always good to have something fresh. Don't get me wrong. We don't want stale bread. 
and we need to keep the water flowing through our life. But at the end of the day, we can't forsake the basics of the, the faith. The reason we're Baptists are labeled, Bible believers are typically labeled fundamentalists is because, um, you know, with the progressive uh, movement coming out of Europe, Back in the 1800s, it was the Baptists who stopped the train and said, wait a minute, these are the fundamentals, right? These are the essentials that we have to keep focused on. And uh, and hence was born, you know, most of your doctrinal statements on most uh, church websites, right, uh, that are even close to Baptistic. And so, which are quickly being changed to allowing, you know, where was it at the other day? Oh, Elle and I were, and Amy were driving down the street and, uh, my daughter was aghast because uh, uh, we went by a, I think it was a Presbyterian church up on Ward Parkway. You know, it was flying the flags and the, the gay flags out front. Every everybody's welcome. It sounded like Heartland. Everyone's welcome and wanted. But, you know, and everyone is welcome and wanted. But, you know, we don't fly the gay flag in the front of the church building. And, uh, and so uh, she was just like, what? That's a church? She could, you know, it was just shocking to her. I'm like, yeah, honey, some churches are really going off the rails, right? And so um, it won't be long before we'll be the minority, unfortunately. So at any rate, I'm kind of dig- I'm kind of getting off track, so let me get back on track. So uh, we are to put the brethren in remembrance, and that means this information, is, this is also information they should know, right? They've probably heard it before, and they should know it. Putting the brethren in remembrance means this information... Uh, this is information that should be repeated, right? So they should know it. They should It should be repeated because repetition is the price of learning. And putting the brethren in remembrance provides a practical application as well, or two. If you got, did I get that in your outline? So practical application. Okay. So uh, we should not take our liberty or our food for granted. Uh, that's what we're trying. That's what, that's what, we really got to take, you know, you look at this, you're like, well, sure, you know, it's no big deal. You know what? Don't take any of it for granted. We shouldn't take our liberty uh, or our food for granted. It's important to pray over your meals in public and in private. I noticed as my kids have gotten older, we've gotten a little sloppy on that. And um, you know what? It's We don't want to get, we don't become ritualistic, okay? I'm not saying that you're a heathen if you don't, you know, if you miss a prayer and you just say, thank you, Lord, for the food or whatever in your heart. But there is something about stopping and putting things in remembrance, right? And saying, wait a minute, we're thankful, uh, we're grateful, and we give sincere thanks. Likewise, in our homes, Christ and Christianity can become a ritual of do's and don'ts. And uh, we got to keep it real. So be careful not to call what God has called clean uh, and common unclean, right? And so we also got to be careful with that. In Acts chapter 10 and verse 15, that's what, God, that's what Jesus told Peter. They don't call what I've said is clean, unclean. And so we have to be balanced in that. Uh, Jesus made it clear in Matthew 15, 17 through 20, that it's not the things that go in that defile the man, but the things that go out. And it's from the heart that proceed evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornications, thefts, false witnesses, blasphemies, those things uh, not... Those things, not what we eat or drink, are what defile us, right? It's the heart of the matter, ultimately. And so uh, it's not a, uh, it's not what we eat or drink. Obviously, though, I think that we should abstain from alcohol. But, um, but ultimately, even that issue boils down to a heart attitude uh, and a wisdom and a godliness. So times like these call on ministers to understand this passage as much or more uh, than any other time in history. So 
uh, as we sit here in 2022. The church is the pillar and ground of the truth. The gospel we preach is the only light in a lost and dying world. There's only one way, and it is Jesus. So times like these call for godly ministers to beware and be ready to share these realities and and, uh, be ready to order the church biblically so we can magnify the light of the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. It's good to go to a church that we've planted and see that they're still faithful to the Bible, King James Bible, the doctrine, the teaching. I mean, that's what's important, um, is what we are, are we, we reproducing. The same religious system uh, that we just talked about is now joining forces with what's called the New Age Movement, uh, which is nothing more than the old world occultism, the merging of uh, ancient asceticism, Gnosticism, mysticism with mystery Babylon religion combined to meet uh, with the spirit of Anna Christ that's been working since Genesis. So the recognized goals of the New Age movement are the same as what's coming uh, as, as what's coming with the Antichrist and will espouse with the Theosophic Society leaders who are in positions of power to implement a dark order. And so the goals are summarized um, as uh, as this by people who study these matters. Number one is the New World Order. Number two is Universal Monetary Credit Card System. Number three is the World Food Authority. Number four is the World Health Authority. Number five is the World Water Authority. Number six is the Universal Tax on Air, Water, and uh, Carbon. Number seven is Universal Military Draft. And number eight is Abolishing of Christianity, Judaism, and Islam. And number nine is One World Leader. So... Beloved, it is times like these uh, that we need to be aware and ready to preach the gospel, the glorious gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ with power, love, and a sound mind, uh, for it is the power of God unto salvation. And that concludes my teaching on that. So Paul wanted Timothy to be a good minister, right? So he's laid it out in chapter uh, 3. And he concludes with the mystery of godliness. We see that kind of worked out in the flesh of God's ministers. And then turn right around and see what the the antithesis of that in Satan's, uh, you know, really false religious system. And there's been twice, I've interesting had two discussions recently about world events and such. And, and both have been very perceptive in that, uh, you know, in, in avoiding the um, the... the consternation the the anxiety that's related to conspiracy theories and realizing that ultimately um you know it is satan that is behind what's going on so uh, and ultimately jesus will stop him and so it uh, kind of cuts through all the minutiae and it's not a person or a place or a or dr fauci or whatever you know it is it is a spirit of an age and so um, as, the, as we get closer to the catching away of the church, it's probably likely that we'll continue to be more and more at odds. And so what we've got to do is just continue these basic things that you see, you know, commanding to abstain from meats and all these things that we look at and go, well, well that could never happen. It could. And so we just continue knowing that we have liberty. We have freedom. We have freedom in Christ. We don't have to get uh, caught up in scare tactics. If you don't do this, you're not going to merit eternal life, right? You're not going to be holy. If you don't do this, you don't have access to God. You got to go through me because I do do this. I'm holier than you, right? So that that kind of that call, that kind of thing is a no go. And so, as Christians, as born again Bible believing Christians, we just don't put up with it because we know what the Bible teaches, and uh, we don't have to get mad about it. We don't have to rally and fight about it. We just stand on what is true. And we don't allow uh, ourselves to be shaken off the foundation of Christ. All right, so that's everything I've got to say about that. 
Um, and just uh, you know, I'm glad that God wrote that, so we would have that in our in our in our uh, arsenal. Any questions, comments? Okay. Yeah, I do need to turn off the thing. So I had a good trip today down to uh, New Life, and I've heard that 